G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. Well, as we do on a Monday, always good to touch base with the Australian Christian Lobby looking at the political agenda for the week ahead, how you might look at some of the issues that have been bubbling along and those that are developing from a Christian viewpoint. Uh, Let's welcome Martin Isles. Hi, Martin. Welcome back to 2020. Good morning, Neil. Good to be back. Hey, Martin, let's start with the news poll. Uh, The Morrison government sitting well ahead of Labor on the two-party preferred basis. Any reflections on the latest news poll? Oh, well, it's a bit of a jump, isn't it? I mean, it's 53-47 in favour of the coalition. So, uh, And Scott Morrison's preferred leader um, numbers are through the roof, over 60%. I think Anthony Albanese is in the 20s. So uh, he's done very, very well, and that's a couple of points surge uh, from the last one. It would be a landslide victory if there was an election today. I'm not entirely surprised. Um, I think uh, it is a truism in politics. Uh, It's been this way for a very long time that in times of crisis, people tend to gravitate towards the incumbent. Um, That's just always been the case. Uh, I think most governments have always secretly known that there's nothing better than a crisis just before an election to get you re-elected. But uh, at the same time, I think... um, Scott Morrison handled things very steady hand, uh, and he's been a very, um, he's just come across as a very capable leader, a, a big shift from the, um, the days of uh, the bushfires when he ran into that trouble with going to Hawaii and a few other things. Uh, so he's really moved on, um, and people are liking it. I must say I'm a little concerned about the amount of money being spent um, and the economic future. Uh, I think that the level of stimulus has been quite rec- reckless in some cases. There's money going to people that shouldn't get it. There's uh, very few uh, restrictions on stimulus for businesses and things like that. And there's many billions of dollars going out the door um, that really serve no purpose. And uh, that's been a bother for me because I'm afraid Australia since 2008 is getting caught in the same debt spiral as the rest of the West. So I'd raise that cautionary note, but most people don't think that far ahead. Most people are just happy that Things are being handled relatively well in the here and now, and uh, that's why he's up. Well, no doubt Thursday night will be uh, a telltale announcement. Of course, there's going to be an economic announcement on Thursday night from the Treasurer, and uh, that'll take us into a little deeper understanding of where the government's going so far as all of this stimulus that's being sown into our economy. And uh, no doubt that'll be worthwhile watching and uh, and certainly uh, look forward to sort of, you know, perhaps some sort of indications from you even, Martin Isles, uh, after that event, uh, that there might be some sort of insight into into some of the things that uh, we might be interested in as Christian believers? Well, sure. I mean, it will be interesting. They've already pledged a quarter of a trillion dollars of stimulus measures before yesterday's announcement that uh, three and a half million businesses would have loans of up to a million dollars guaranteed. And then we're expecting even more on Thursday. So, you know, we will be talking about that, I suspect, next Monday, Neil, uh, and uh, just the extent of that and where it's all going. Just before we let go of this, Martin, because we're seeing, as you say, a significant lead in the news poll for the Morrison government, I wonder whether there's any thoughts you might have on whether this is an 
uh, a reflection on Anthony Albanese as the opposition leader because oftentimes when this sort of thing is happening and huge money is being spent, we might think that an opposition might have some objection to that. But, of course, uh, not hearing a lot along those lines from the opposition leader. Well, it's interesting. This reflects to me a bit of a change because Anthony Albanese, um, I think, would instinctively be uh, an economic stimulus kind of guy. I mean, you go back to the global financial crisis. There was a crisis then, and the government responses across the West was economic stimulus. Government starts to spend money to make up for the fact that people aren't spending money. Uh, and at that time, Labor was in power. They spent a whole lot of money, and they received an absolute shellacking from the coalition because it was excessive, the coalition said, and it was plunging us into more debt and all the rest of it. And they carped on about that for a long time against Labor and held it over them. And what surprises me is just how things have changed. Now you actually have the coalition outpacing Labor's effort in 2008. So Labor spent $2,000 for every Australian on its stimulus. The coalition have so far spent $9,000 for every Australian. Uh, And all of a sudden you've got uh, fiscal conservatism has gone the way of the dinosaur. Uh, And so the coalition is now uh, as big a spending on stimulus measures in crises as Labor ever was. And so Anthony Albanese has no criticism because they're both you have a unity ticket on this issue. And I think that's probably part of the reason Albanese hasn't been able to find his voice because he, he doesn't have a significant point of difference on this stuff. Okay. And more to say about that, no doubt, too. And uh, we might wait until see we see what's happening on Thursday night. Sure. Hey, the ACL has called for a backdown from Perth Council's plans to cancel the Christmas Nativity event because it isn't all-inclusive. Now, here we are, it's only July, talking about a Christmas nativity event, but obviously this is big for West Australian listeners, uh, what happens in Perth typically each year. Uh, What's the issue here, Martin? Yeah, there's a very popular uh, Christmas nativity event held in the city of Perth, uh, and which is put on by the Perth City Council every year. It's uh, something of a tradition. And, um, yeah, for no other reason than that language uh, that the um, commissioner of the city council or the chief, the chair commissioner uh, has come out with to say that this event, uh, they're looking to cancel it this year because it's, quote, not inclusive. Uh, And that sort of language really bugs me. You know, if you really think about it, I mean, the Queen's birthday is not inclusive either to Republicans and Labor Day is not inclusive to those who aren't signed up to the trade union movement and Easter's not inclusive. You know, nothing's inclusive in that sense. But there's lots of things that are worth doing and there's lots of things that are meaningful and there's lots of things that, uh, that are popular and well-loved. Uh, and so this is sort of weasel language, I think, for somebody who just doesn't like Christian holiday and Christian symbolism and all the rest of it. And I've always thought, you know, in, in moments like this, um, you know, we need to stand up and say, you know, there are some things that are worth doing. There are some things that are that are good. Uh, and, and, and this sort of event is something that is good and worth doing. And that language of not inclusive just isn't going to cut it, I'm afraid, uh, in, in modern Australia, because uh, there's always going to be some people who are not interested in it. It's not that it's not inclusive. They just don't have to go. <laughs> it's as simple as that. <laughs> and we might even say, you know, with a Christian prime minister and, as some say, with a Christian governor general, we ought to feel a certain sense of permission to celebrate Christmas mm. in a significant way because uh, there is something very Christian about our national leadership and this is something we ought to explore and and uh, and glory in a little bit, the opportunity to be able to say a Merry Christmas and mean that in a spiritual sense. 
Yeah, and I think sometimes our national leaders, and I think it's the same with journalists and so forth, they forget something. They actually forget that Australia is a very religious country. Uh, and they forget that Australia is a very Christian country because they're not religious and they're not Christian on the whole. Now, you mentioned the most notable of exceptions, which is Scott Morrison and David Early. Uh, but, you know, on the whole, in these political circles, they're not used to seeing a strong Christian or religious presence. But the fact is that the quiet Australians, the ordinary folks living in this country, 52% of them are Christian, let alone other faiths. Uh, and uh, it's really common in many, many parts of our capital cities to have great faith-based communities. And they forget that. Uh, and I think that it's incumbent on those faith-based communities to find their voice, to remind our leaders as often as possible that we're here. And it might only be July, but this is probably a very good time to be thinking about how we might celebrate Christmas in a significant way this coming year. It might be a more important Christmas than ever. With a pandemic and the conditions worsening in some places, we may well need the hope that comes from the Christmas message much more powerfully than ever before. So look forward to that. Hey, Martin, let's talk about some of the other issues that are going on. Let's draw some attention to things happening in South Australia, where the latest state in a string of states that are expressing a wish to ban conversion therapy. What's happening in South Australia? Yeah, look, this is something that's been, it's bubbling away under the surface. Uh, as a Labor um, uh, MP who has decided to uh, start working on some legislation and um, it seems like the Attorney General, I think it's Vicky Chapman uh, in South Australia, uh, has made an intimation that the government would support this or this would end up being a bipartisan affair uh, to have this bill go through. Uh, it's a real shame. <clears throat> All of these conversion therapy pushes are a real shame. Uh, and just as an update, Victoria is the state where they've started some, uh, you know, they've passed some mild laws on this with more serious ones to come, but nothing's passed anywhere else yet, blocked in Queensland for now and things like that. So, but it's bubbling away in a lot of states. And it's a real shame because, uh, you know, conversion therapy, it's not a Christian, it's not a religious phrase. It's a phrase that's been made up by activists who aren't fans of religion uh, and thrust into the public debate. And we suddenly find ourselves talking about it. And the reality is this, conversion therapy is not something that is happening in Australia in 2020 anywhere. When people say conversion therapy, they think of things that are coercive, they think of things that are abusive, they think of like boot camps in that movie Boy Erase, they think of, uh, you know, electric shock therapies, they think of, you know, dragging people off to, to enforce counselling or something. None of that is happening in Australia today, none. And it's so unfair for them to come out into the public square and say conversion therapy and evoke this kind of anti-religious imagery. And the fact is, when conversion therapies did happen, it was not actually exclusively religious. It was state institutions as much as anything else that actually perpetuated these sorts of barbaric practices and misguided things. What we have today in Australia is we have pastors preaching the Bible. We have uh, parents who are, uh, are telling their children that, you know, uh, he uh, heteronormativity, to use the modern word, uh, is God's design. Uh, and we have people uh, who are, as in boys are boys, girls are girls, and we have some people who are Christians or of other faiths uh, who uh, believe that they are same-sex attracted or, or something like that, and they meet voluntarily, completely voluntarily, totally voluntary adults in full possession of their faculties. They meet with others to talk about how to live out their sexuality and their faith. 
And that's it. It's voluntary counselling. They call it counselling sometimes. It's mostly just meeting together. Those are the only things happening in this country. And if the government wants to make those things criminal, which these laws will, well, that's a serious assault on people's freedom and religious freedom. Let's move on. There's a number of issues that are bubbling along. And in Tasmania, there's a a, a bit of newspaper coverage for the Australian Christian lobby here. You've called for an apology from uh, the leading euthanasia advocate MP in Tasmania. Uh, What's been happening so far as the debate goes on in that state? Yeah, look, this is the um, Mike Gaffney is the MP down there who wants to introduce a euthanasia bill. Um, He said the other day that um, people of faith should not be involved uh, in any decisions of public policy, which uh, we sort of called out and said, hey, that makes Tasmania a two class society. Those who can speak and those who can't, it all all depends whether you're religious. You know, that's 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 sort of an outrageous thing to say. Um, But, you know, the Gaffney bill... um, you know, aside from that little bungle, the bill itself actually has some significant problems. The bill itself would allow people to commit assisted suicide, uh, you know, euthanasia, even if they're not terminally ill. Um, and it doesn't matter whether, whether they've got a prognosis for a life expectancy of six months or whatever. That makes it significantly different to other regimes. And I agree with the um, Anglican uh, Dean of Hobart. Uh, he said, uh, the Reverend Richard Humphrey, uh, he said it's not going to result in more people dying because everyone dies, but he said it absolutely will result in more people being killed. Uh, and that's the issue. These people don't have to be terminally ill. These people don't have to have a short life expectancy, but they can be killed. And there's all sorts of uh, problematic things. You think of our senior Australians, you think of elder abuse, you think of all of this stuff. And in Australia at the moment, as far as I can think of, the only exception we make uh, to be able to kill someone, you know, is self-defence when your own life is, is, is about to be taken uh, and you can defend yourself. But other than that, uh, other than abortion, of course, as well, uh, there are no exceptions in Australian law around killing people, actually killing them. And that's what this is. And uh, there's a better way. Uh, palliative care can deal with when properly funded and resourced and deal with all of the challenges that people face in their dying days. I actually talked to a guy who was the head of one of the largest palliative care units in Australia. And he said he has cared for tens of thousands of patients in his career. He said not one has ever asked for euthanasia because he said palliative care done well solves the problems. Wow. Uh, Let's move on. A counterparty bill in the Queensland Parliament is uh, to support a person's right to call a man he and a woman she has been criticised by controversial Labor MP Jackie Trad. Uh, what's uh, the issue here, Martin? Yeah, um, this is interesting. Uh, I mean, Robbie Catter um, has brought in a bill in the Queensland Parliament and he, he wants, he's basically saying people should be able to use the he and she words <laughs> without facing any sort of uh, legal implication. And uh, like being sued for vilification, for example. Now, now, in some states, like in Tasmania, for example, the uh, anti-discrimination legislation is very clear. If you don't use someone, if you mispronounce someone, if, you, if they want to be called she but they're a he and you call them a he, you know, it might even be an innocent mistake. Uh, or if they want to be something else like a they or a z or a zem or a, you know, there's all these bizarre and strange when you get into this world, it's very odd. Uh, and if you mispronounce them, that actually can be offensive speech um, at law in Tasmania, uh, which is astounding. Now, I'm not sure that um, it's got to that level in Queensland, but he wants to pass this bill preemptively and say, no, no, you, you should be able to say he and she. 
and you should that should not be hate speech. That should not be a problem. But the crazy thing is this: Jackie Trad, uh, who is uh, the Queensland treasurer, has come out uh, and said um, uh, she said that uh, this is on the level of of protecting the N word, uh, which used to be able to be said, and it's divisive and it's hateful. And it's as bad as, and she lists a bunch of other derogatory terms that were used about women and so forth. And so you see where she's coming from. She's saying that actually he and she are hate speech. Uh, he and she are as bad as the worst slurs against uh, racial groups and so on. Uh, and that this is attacking the vulnerable. And I think that's really interesting for us to see. Now, Jackie Trad is a mover and shaker in the government in Queensland. She has been holding the policy strings for a long time. Uh, she's been relegated to uh, insignificance for the sake of the election because the people don't like her. She'll be back after the election if the Palaszczuk government win. This is the kind of thinking within the Queensland government. You saying he and she is hate speech. Okay, interesting. Just to bring out something, just as we wrap things up here, Martin, when you talk about preemptive legislation, as you're saying, this is what Robbie Catter appears to be doing. He's uh, bringing this out because he can see a problem coming. And so, therefore, not just being reactionary when all of those sorts of legislation are passed by parliaments and everything's being watered down. I wonder whether we can top off our conversation today uh, talking about why it is that Christians might consider becoming more involved in their local political scene because uh, this idea of uh, heading these things off at the past before they actually become legislation is going to become something much more significant for our future. What are your thoughts here around uh, the way that perhaps Christian people with some sort of ability to be able to engage in things politically might actually consider getting involved in their local political scene? I think it's so true what you say, Neil. Very often what we're doing is we are, getting, we are reacting against something we see as it's happening. Uh, and that's a long way downstream in the process. Um, this thing that we don't like, whether it be the pronoun stuff or any of the other things we've talked about this morning or, or talk about many weeks, uh, you know, they are the result of certain people getting into parliament, those people building alliances, those people getting, you know, the different parliamentary bodies in support of them, and then, you know, getting it through the party itself and then getting it into legislation. And then you know, there's a lot that goes on. And um, the people that are pushing a lot of these things that are, that are worrying that we talk about, uh, they've been in place for a while and they're extremely strategic. And there's the word proactive. Uh, and uh, I do think that we've, we've dropped the ball a little bit on this as Christians, where we've sort of gone on with our lives and sort of expected the government to both basically do the right thing, and we haven't been proactive. And so, Neil, I think you're quite right. People need to get involved, uh, and there is opportunity to do so. I mean, the upcoming Queensland election, for example, we were talking about, there will be a very strong campaign run there to support solid Christian candidates and anyone can be involved in that anyone can be a part of the days of action to support those guys get them over the line in winnable seats they can go to our website they can click the volunteer button get on that train be a part of it uh, but there's always organizations like us that are inviting ordinary australians to be involved and to make a difference in that regard well martin always great insights thank you so much for taking some time to update listeners today on all of these issues that as we get into another week ahead uh, they are all bubbling along under the surface and they all mean something for the future of not only ourselves but our children, perhaps even our grandchildren. 
acl.org.au is the website for the Australian Christian Lobby. You'll find all sorts of great resource there and understanding what the issues are and how you might think about those from a Christian point of view. acl.org.au. Martin Isles is the Managing Director of the Australian Christian Lobby. Martin, thanks so much for the update today on 2020. Not a trouble, Neil. Thank you. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.